welcome to this episode of Saintly Witnesses, where I talk to the Catholic behind the account. Today I'm speaking with Richard Evans, who is um, a columnist at Catholic Stand. He's a wonderful, you know, collector of jazz and blues mu music. And today he's going to talk about his uh, reversion story to the Catholic faith and um, discuss his, his passion for advocacy that he has. So thank you, Richard, for coming on to talk about, uh, you know, these things that are central to you. Well, thank you for having me. Yes, yes, yes. So um, I think I've been, you know, keeping in touch with you in, on social media for a while. And, you know, I've always, um, whether it was stuff that we talked about a long time ago with music and LP records, or just, um, you know, casual small talk or just uh, in-depth talk, you know, I've always appreciated, um, appreciated you. And I've always been a, a big um, I guess follower of like the the work that the work that you've written at different Catholic sites, and um, your conversion story was always important. So uh, oh. I, I definitely appreciate you coming on to talk more about this. Thank you a lot. I appreciate. Yeah, yeah. It. So um, you are, from what I know, you are a revert to the Catholic faith. So why don't you tell us about you know your faith as a. a Growing up, how was it, you know, how did that lead you into middle life and how did it ultimately lead you back to, to have this profound reversion back to the church? Okay, well, I was raised in a, a very strong Catholic family, youngest of eight kids, and um, definitely my uh, parents, my, my dad actually was a convert when he married my mother, so he had been a Protestant, but... Um, was definitely all the way within the church at that time. And uh, for many years, several years at least, I was very uh, devoted to not just our Lord, but to the faith itself, to the Catholic Church, and um, never thought of anything else, really. Um, so I became an altar boy. I uh, did that for like four or five years, and also... Um, had received all the sacraments except confirmation. I had not received confirmation, but, you know, First Communion, First Penance, of course, Baptism, all of those things. And uh, definitely um, was was just drawn to things of the faith and things of our, our Lord all the time uh, through my early life. When I was about 12 or so, my mother had kind of an, a deconversion, if you will, uh, she started visiting other uh, churches and denominations, Lutheran churches part of the time, and then the Assemblies of God, and that's where she sort of ended up. And then I was like right at that point of becoming a teenager, and uh, it kind of confused me, to say the least. I mean, I was honestly thinking in terms of, you know, that one day maybe I'd be a priest. I mean, that was honestly what I kind of was feeling drawn more towards than anything. And... Uh, so that threw the whole thing kind of a monkey wrench in it, shall we say, because it really didn't uh, uh, match with where I was going. And I was very concerned for her at that point. But at the same time, I was just a kid, you know, and I didn't know what was happening within her faith journey or, or whatever. But um, she kind of used to get us kids to go, the, the three youngest of us, to go to the Assemblies of God Youth Group. And she, you know, just always say, well, you know, they invited you, so you should go. One of us, and then there always was me that got elected to go. You know, I was the youngest, so my sister somehow weaseled out of it, but, you know, somehow I ended up going to these youth group things. And at first, I didn't like it very well, but 
at some point, I became very impressed because um, one thing I see, had seen, and you might know from the other direction that this can be the case, uh, the youth were very devout and very on fire, and they were very excited about the uh, serving the Lord. And the Catholic youth that I knew weren't. And, you know, it was like I was seeing a real Jesus thing happening here, and not particularly within the faith that I had been brought up in. So I started coming to a point of, of having my own crisis and saying, okay, well, Lord, what do I do? You know, uh, do you want me to be a Catholic or do you want me to be, you know, I had started reading the Bible and those types of things because they always did. And they had Bible studies that were uh, part of their, you know, regular curriculum on a, on a weekly basis. Uh, not just Sunday school, but there was a Wednesday night Bible study and all kinds of things. And they all partook in these things. It was like they all were excited about it, like it was something cool, you know. <laughs> but, you know, of course, we want to be cool, especially at that age. That's almost the most important thing. So here I am and saying, I'm really actually starting to like this. I was relating to it because in my earlier years, I had felt such a devotion to God and to the church. But um, again, not seeing it in my other Catholic brother, brothers and sisters or kids at that age. And so I finally prayed and asked God, I said, well, do you want me to be Catholic? Do you want me to be this church or somebody of God? Do you want me to be, you know, a Buddhist? I mean, what do you want me to be? And I really was presenting it before the Lord and uh, kind of stepped back in my own heart for a little while, maybe a few weeks or a month, something like that. I kept going to church, um, but finally um, made after a particularly, uh, I don't know what happened, really, it wasn't a really strong emotional thing, but just a, I think just in my intellectual and also in my will, I, I came to a point of really making a commitment to Christ within their understanding of what that meant. So prayed, quote unquote, the prayer, and uh, asked, you know, the Lord Jesus to come into my life and that type of thing. And by that time, I was... Uh, uh, about 14 and a half, we're so working on 15, but um, it changed my life a lot because I suddenly was grounded and I was suddenly with, again, all these people that were giving me the strength of fellowship and that type of thing. <clears throat> so I thought that I had to make this choice between the church and the Lord. Well, it never even quite occurred to me at that age or at that time in my life that the two could be one, <laughs> you know, but... Uh, so that's kind of what, where I ended up for many years after that. So that was kind of the starting point. Okay, so that's definitely good information in like this this uh, pathway of trying to figure out is it this way or that way it could definitely be an obstacle I could see. So how did you, so what happened after that? So how was your spirituality growing or how did you grow in, you know, Protestantism uh, after well, that? I was, by that time, like I say, pushing into 50 and such, and I had a very profound, strong experience with the Holy Spirit, uh, what they would call the baptism in the Holy Spirit, um, and they um, prayed for me and different things, you know, were, were, became more and more real to me as far as uh, the fact that the gifts of the Spirit could happen today. Well, I knew that actually from my Catholic faith, which is kind of interesting because Catholics teach that those things can happen as well. But um, I went to um, a North Central uh, 
what's called North Central University now, it was North Central Bible College at the time, when I was like 18 or so, and was there for four years, uh, went to, uh, with the desire to become in the ministry. So it was like this little thing of the priesthood had suddenly morphed into the ministry because, you know, I can't do both, right? So, <laughs> um, but then, uh, you know, all of, of that time, right around that time, because, you know, when puberty hits and all those things, I, I really began to discover another side to myself, which was that I was attracted towards not the girls in the group or my friends, but the guys. And there was no one to tell that to, especially back then. This was talking about 1970, 71, right in that era, uh, even a little bit earlier. And there was absolutely nobody in the world I would have felt comfortable sharing that with. So basically, I dealt with that kind of silently for, for a number of years. And when I was at college, I finished. And then I met someone who didn't go to college with me, but that I knew quite well afterwards, uh, who was a very devout Christian woman. We married. Uh, we were in the ministry together for 12 years. And then at the end of that time, things weren't perfect with the marriage. But at the same time, it wasn't just the, the homosexual desires, but other things weren't perfect about it either. Still, we loved each other, and there was something there. And, and I took it to God, too. You know, again, I, I, really, I really believed in taking things to God and, and asking him. And I said, Lord, is, is this really where I was supposed to be? Was I supposed to be married to this woman? Or was I supposed to be out in this world that, you know, at that time people were starting to talk about things like, well, there's other interpretations of the scripture and such. And uh, finally, uh, we ended up divorcing, um, which was, was a sad thing. And I look back on it and I realized had I known the right things, had I been around the right people, maybe that would not have occurred, but it, it did occur. And so we divorced. And for about 15 more years, I had then now was in a situation I was outside of the church, both the Catholic Church and the Church of the Assemblies of God that I was raised in. And, and all of that was, was subject to this new quote unquote knowledge that I was having that I, I was looking at myself and saying, you know, this isn't fitting. Yet at the same time, I, I didn't give up God. I didn't give up Christ. You know, I just wanted to uh, see where I would, would land. And where it seemed like I was landing was there. So because I just couldn't see another alternative. Um, went to a rally one time. It was an early rally for marriage equality. But it was like back in, oh, 2003 or something like that. So quite a while back. And I remember hearing one of the leaders, the state leaders in the uh, whole movement here in Minnesota of, of you know, that whole area. And she was just railing on the Bible. She was like, oh, the Bible is used this way and the Bible is used that way. And then she called all the ministers up front, which I didn't know, even though I had been a minister. But she called them up to stand with her and such. I ended up leaving the rally because I was so confused. I was like, okay, here's a group the church that I love and that I want to be part of. Here's another group that I felt I was part of, and that was the LGBTQ community, although they did not have all those letters back then. But anyway, bottom line is, I felt like, where am I? You know, and I, I felt like, um, and I've said in other like stories or publications that I was like a, a man without a country. You know, there was a, a 
was it a book or a poem or something, the man without a country. Well, that's kind of who I was at that point. And I looked on the internet. The internet was just starting to you know, become more and more and more. So I found a book by a man named David Morrison, who had had remarkably similar experiences. He had been a Christian. He um, became a, a gay activist and also an Episcopalian. And at the time, then and his pastor had the exact same attitude as far as being, you know, uh, we accept you, but we don't necessarily accept everything you think, you know, and that type of thing. So he had that kind of middle of the road experience with, with them, but somehow he also didn't feel like that was enough. And this book, Beyond Gay, was the name of the book, and this book he wrote um, started talking about his experience where he discovered the courage apostles in the Catholic Church, and that they basically said, you know, kind of what I had been thinking for almost all my life, that it was one thing to have feelings and another thing to have actions, and that the two didn't have to uh, negate you from the, from the kingdom of God. When I looked into the Catholic views on it, and which I was surprised, and I really hadn't explored Catholicism for years. It wasn't even on my radar screen anymore. I just didn't think Catholic Church had anything to offer to me. But uh, I was surprised to find out that <clears throat> Father Harvey had started the, this movement, Courage, and that through that, <clears throat> he had brought a lot of people to this understanding of, and again, for the first time ever hearing the term same-sex attraction. And that he had started and saying, okay, there's this, there's this path you can walk that is for holiness. It isn't a matter of whether your feelings are this or that. So I... I began to take that a little more seriously. And then I started thinking, well, you know, there might be some other things in the Catholic Church that I should explore. Just, I mean, I wasn't really thinking about it. Uh, but I, I just, I don't know, at least I didn't think it on the, on the surface. But I remember digging out an old rosary that my family, had, my mom or someone had passed on. I remember digging out a few other things like that and thought, I'm going to just explore some of these traditions and see what, What's what? I mean, what's happened in the Catholic Church since I left it? And by that time, it was close to 35 years. Um, so I thought, let me get, go get a current catechism. When I was uh, raised, I was raised in what's called the Baltimore Catechisms. And they were, they're very traditional. They're still around today. Uh, but that's what I was raised on. So I didn't want necessarily to see those. I wanted to see what's happened to the Catholic Church in these years. Well, got this great big thick book called The Catechism of the Catholic Church. And I was, you know, having the Bible in one hand, catechism in the other, looking at one, looking at the other, going back and forth. And as time went on, I began to realize that that assumption from way back when, that I either had to choose between Catholicism or Jesus, was not true. That that was right already where part of my assumptions had gone wrong many years earlier. And that the two could be together and that a personal relationship to Christ uh, was something the Catholic Church did teach. Uh, and maybe didn't make it as delineated as, you know, uh, on Trinity Broadcasting Network or something where, you know, you just pray the prayer, touch the TV and fall down and then you're, you're saved. You know, but there was something there that was real and that I could find. So I, I began to say, okay, and I was never against Catholics, but I, I, 
just thought that a lot of them didn't have the full understanding. Well, then what I found out is that I was the one who didn't have the full understanding. <laughs> but when I was confirmed, I did it with the understanding that I belonged here. There was no other place I belonged. Now, I haven't lived that perfectly over the years, but, um, but I do know it, and I'm, I'm thankful for it. That's um, actually a very short synopsis, even though it might seem very long. But <laughs> you talk about uh, journeys. That's more like some people got journeys, but that's definitely a journey to oh, yeah. find find uh, to come back to the church. So yeah, it's definitely definitely a journey. You said a lot of good points that I wrote down, and uh, yeah, yeah, I'm definitely gonna bring them back up again. So now that you reverted to the Catholic Church, what's one thing that you would say to somebody who's discerning or thinking about converting to the church? What would you say to that person? I'd say to study. I mean, to me, like I said, literally, I had the Bible in one hand and the, and the catechism in the other. If they were someone from that type of background, I would say compare. Compare your understanding of what the Bible says, what your church taught you, or what your your own reading taught you compare that with what the early church fathers believed and taught with what um context is something that we always were told as protestants you read it in the context one of the contexts they forgot was tradition because there is a sacred tradition that's handed down every word is not in the bible but it doesn't mean that uh, there isn't a tradition that every church follows, even even Protestant churches. They might not admit it, but if you're a Lutheran, whose tradition are you going to follow? Martin Luther's idea of what the church teaches. You know, if you're a Presbyterian, same thing. You look at John Calvin or whomever. Uh, but these were taking us back to much further to people, Thomas Aquinas, and people further beyond that, way back to Ignatius of Antioch and, and those who were very early, just that knew the apostles, that knew what the apostles meant by certain things they said, things that we would argue about, certain scriptures, you know. First uh, Peter, I think it is, or I believe it's First Peter, where it says that baptism now saves you. And uh, again, who would be better to understand which that meant than someone who was under his teaching? And I didn't have those, those pieces to put together. So, um, I would say that's, that's one thing. I would say study with as open of a mind you, as you have. Now, of course, if they're an atheist or if there's something completely different, they, they can go with a clean slate and just pick up the catechism and still study. But to study the earliest Christian writings and, and to be a little discerning about it, too, because some of those early Christian writings aren't in part of tradition. They're tradition in the sense that they existed way back when, but they're not part of the tradition that was carried on through the church. So you have to look between the two because otherwise you'll end up doing the Da Vinci Code or something. But <laughs> So that, that would be one thing that's very big to me, I think. Right, approaching early church history and early church fathers with a, a critical mind is something that's mm -hmm. super important. Um, so now we're going to go to the next part about, which is, you know, we discuss as I discussed in the introduction that you had this passion for advocacy and uh, social justice. So how did you get involved with that? What started, what piqued your interest in, you know, getting involved with this type of, um, you know, hobby and passion? Yeah, well, that one actually takes me right back to the beginning, but I'll try to make it shorter this time. But when I was uh, <laughs> just a little kid, um, 
my brother was uh, in the service in the Air Force, and at that time they had a uh, they had a uh, well, I'm losing it now a base in Mississippi, and we um, as a family, and we by the way were like the literally poorest people in the whole area. I mean, in our county and in our, <laughs> our uh, town when we moved later into town until I was at least about nine or 10 years old, we were very much the people who got the toys at Christmas from the fire department and all of the things that, you know, we were the people that as an awful term comes up, uh, that were the poor white, white trash of the county. You know, we just were because we didn't have anything. We couldn't get anything. And, and we were just in, in a circle of spinning. But what's interesting is that my mother seemed to see beyond that. And then we're talking about a, a small town, everybody's white, and 1950-something. Um, segregation was still going on. And then when I was five, we went down to visit my brother that was in this place in Mississippi. Um, and we kind of drove this rickety station wagon and drove all the way down there. One of the things my mother did is she used it as a bunch of teaching moments to the rest of us kids. I mean, a bunch of them. She would see these shacks and horrible looking houses alongside the road, especially once we got towards Mississippi itself. And a lot of people would say a lot of things, but what she said and what stuck in my mind, and I've talked to others of my siblings too, is she pointed them to us as kids. And she said, look at what these people are going through. Look at what suffering other people have to go through. And she wanted us to have it just ingrained in us. And then, like I say, it was segregated still. So we had to, she had to point out which water fountains we could use, you know, and things like that. But totally different world than what I had grown up, even at that little age. In. But what I did have happen is that it, it made me know, and the term wasn't out yet. Nobody was saying institutional racism or any of those things. But I knew it existed because I knew that there was at least one or more other groups out there that had it a lot worse than me and that it wasn't their fault. And that it was because of the way the society had set things up. And so now if I knew that at age five, I don't understand people arguing about it now. You know, I just don't because uh, it was very much there. All my um, up into teens, adult life, whatever, that was just consistent, you know, that not just her, teaching, but it became my own conviction as well as others that I knew. When I was in the ministry, when I was in my last year at uh, North Central, uh, I visited an African-American church, and I had never had before, but um, I visited it, and the pastor um, actually hunted me down and wrote me or called me. I don't remember which. I believe it was he sent me a postcard, and he said how much, how glad he was that I had visited and wouldn't I want to come back and preach sometime? Well, I'd never preached before. I mean, I had been at the point where I was at the point of taking that class, but I, <laughs> I really had not studied, you know, this is how you do a sermon and all of this yet. So I was like blown away, you know, at the, at the openness and kindness. Now his church that he established, this was in the early 70s or kind of into the mid 70s, but <clears throat> it was in the area of Minneapolis, which at that time, was probably the most troubled. I mean, during the 70s and even late 60s, the riots that were happening there, when Dr. King passed away and all of that thing, 
you know, all of that area was much like what's going on now in my own city. Um, and I, you know, I'm a little nervous to go up there, not about the people, because, you know, I had not, no issue with, with anybody from other backgrounds, but I just was scared of the fact that maybe I wouldn't be the one accepted. Or maybe, you know, I would be the one taken in the back and lynched or something horrible. You know, I mean, you don't know because you have all these things in your head that have been planted within you from other people. But they weren't planted in with, with uh, my family. They were just there um, because I think, again, the unknown. And anyway, I did. I went and preached there. I made some terrible mistakes in the sermon that I made. Um, and, but they didn't care. And they... He sent money. He sent me a check in the mail and said how wonderful the people had received me and, you know, to come back anytime. Eventually, after I got married, that became our church. And that was my first place of ministry. And uh, then later on, went into the ministry out east in Richmond, Virginia, and worked with a lot of men, adult men that had uh, drug and alcohol abuse problems. And I was also the associate pastor of a church there, too. Uh, and in that church, I... Um, it was, it was totally integrated, the most integrated church probably in Richmond, Virginia at the time. Um, but there was people from every background. And the uh, pastor there was a Latino man and his wife also. And so that was a learning experience. We, we grew, my wife and myself, from um, you know, being in those situations. We grew from a theoretical understanding of, oh, this is what people go through. Yes, look out the window and see the shacks. To this is what it does to people to live this way. This is what it does to people to be thrown into a city situation because more of those guys were from the city than anywhere and had been on gangs and all of these different things. And, and the, the desire was in there, and, but it just grew. And, and I uh, began to see, I won't say firsthand because, of course, I can't ever as a white person, see it firsthand. But I, I saw it closely secondhand. And I saw what pain was out there. And that my pain, maybe some of my pain from even the same sex attraction that I was fighting while I was in a marriage, maybe some of the pain that I was having from having been raised in a very uh, poor family, poverty, uh, was not a, something a stranger to me. And, and all of those things but also not having where I stood out. Now, the place I stood out was when I went to that church and I was the only white person, except for the one woman up in the choir, but um, I was literally the only white person in the, in the church. And yet they asked me to preach. You know, I mean, believe me, I didn't have any idea that I had any gift in that area. You know, and I'm not sure if I ever did, but <laughs> it was like, that was the kind of welcome. I was surrounded by this love from the people who had been oppressed by the ancestors of my people. And I'll tell you, that meant more to me and, and solidified all those feelings that I could never, ever feel otherwise. So I don't know, that gives you a little idea. But that, that definitely put me with a lot of interest in... Um, not just being non-racist, but being anti-racist. Thank you for sharing. That's a, a deep, a deep reflection about you know how you got involved and um, you know being for social justice. So, what is 
one challenge that you've experienced uh, for ever, while advocating and you know being a, an advocate? What's one challenge that you've noticed? Okay, I have a relative who married into the family, not uh, grew up with us, but my one sibling married, uh, this very nice person, but I always knew he was very, very conservative about all things. And we had never, ever discussed politics or anything like that. But when the murder of George Floyd happened, 19 blocks from where I live, I started posting about it. I started posting a lot about it on my Facebook page, on Twitter, wherever I could, and saying and writing eventually an article in Catholic Stand about it, and, and saying this is horrific, and, and people aren't getting the fact that the argument isn't whether or not we have a terminology for it, whether we can call it quote-unquote institutional or not, or whether it's, all it is, it's a murder, and it's a murder because this person was black, and he was killed in front of a bunch of people, like I say, less than two miles from where I lived. I um, experienced with my brother-in-law, and God bless him, I have nothing against him. (laughs) He may have something against me at this point, I don't know. That's a big challenge, because people aren't ready to adjust. Yeah, that's a big challenge, especially with people in your family, navigating those difficult conversations with those who you love and yeah. trying to approach conversations with charity and clarity is most important. So yeah. the last point, you know, you're Catholic, you've been a Catholic for a while. How do you insert um, your Catholic faith and then, you know, the Catholic Church has a lot to say on social justice and with Catholic social teaching. How do you insert the Catholic faith or how do you insert your Catholic faith with this, uh, you know, this passion for social justice and advocacy? Well, I think it shouldn't be very hard because if you look at Catholic social teaching, it's all over the place there. Um, I think it's a very interesting thing that right now it, within the Catholic Church, very much along political lines, you're finding this whole other movement that's starting to happen that is, quote-unquote, hyper-traditional. It's not just traditional, not like I just like the Latin Mass, which I happen to like the Latin Mass. I grew up on the Latin Mass. I knew it quite well in the day, and, and I've gone to many Latin Masses, and they're beautiful, but they take it further than that. I like the Latin Mass, which also means I want America to be back like it used to be. I'm not sure what that is, but that is not where we want to go for the most part. Yes, we want rules about abortion and things like that. And I, I you know, certainly am anti-taking anti, um, of anybody's life, born or unborn. But uh, to say that it's not there, you know, it's an obvious thing that's part of our faith if we look at it. Uh, for my time in life, I'm 60, almost 65 years old. I'm retired, not in great health. I'm okay, but not, you know, as strong as I was 20 years ago. But I post a lot. I try to write about it. Like I said, I wrote an article on Catholic Stand. I was a little nervous about writing that article because some people have written some things that have been just very nearly the opposite. I mean, there's a group of 50 or 60 of us that write for that uh, publication, e-publication, and we don't all agree on some of those things. So me putting that article out, I thought, well, I don't know, they're probably gonna throw me out of the out of the fellowship. And if they do, that's fine, you know. But it's that kind of thing that I I've just had to say, okay, 
I have to speak out. Wow, thank you for sharing your story about how you impact uh, social justice with your advocacy. Uh, as we conclude this interview, I just wanted to wrap up and say that one thing I noticed that I wrote down was the fact that you said in your faith journey that you had this battle between the Catholic Church or Jesus. And I think when we look back at the Catholic Church, you know, it's not an either or situation. We have the fullness of Jesus and the sacraments and in so many ways. Uh, I think a lot of people may have that same uh, tension in their head too with Catholicism, but ultimately we need to rest assured that Christ is in his fullness within the church. Well, that's gonna conclude this episode of Saintly Witnesses and I definitely appreciate you coming through to share your faith journey, Richard, and may our listeners continue to pray for you and the work that you do. Uh, you guys can tune in next episode for uh, Saintly Witnesses. <laughs>